This is Cinema Talk, brought to you by the Department of Communication Arts at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. My name is Ben Reiser. I work here at UW Cinematheque as well as the Wisconsin Film Festival. And I was recently joined in the studio by James Rundy, a Madison, Wisconsin-based filmmaker and graduate of the Communication Arts Department here at the UW. James has had four films in as many years at the Wisconsin Film Festival, starting with a short film at the 2016 festival titled White and Lazy. In 2017, he brought the super short animated piece Patty to our festival. In 2018, we premiered Leslie, a short that was comprised of a section of the nearly feature-length effort that we showed at the 2019 festival. That film is called Played Out, and it won a prestigious Golden Badger Award for Excellence in Wisconsin Filmmaking. Over the course of about an hour, James and I discuss many things, from shooting on 16mm film, to movies he loves, music we both enjoy, the controversy surrounding the title of his white and lazy film, and his thoughts on regional filmmaking. But our conversation begins with me teasing him about his recent revisions to Played Out, and the idea of a final version of art in today's digital age. Here's my conversation with James Rundy. Golden Badger winning what, what? filmmaker, Mr. James Rundy. Hello. James and I have been tied at the hip. <laughs> we had, uh, was it like a couple of weeks ago or longer that we had that library screening? That was out? a week or two ago. Week, last week? Mm-hmm. Two weeks ago. Have I you can't recovered remember. from that screening? Yes, I have. I haven't done anything since that screening in terms of editing, but... Okay, well, that actually brings me to my first question about you and about filmmaking and about editing. Uh, I first discovered this phenomenon of 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 these ever changing works of art that never are quite finished. When, uh, I think a couple of Kanye West albums ago, like Life of Pablo, where I heard the what was the album, and then I listened to it a week later, and mm-hmm. it was, the mixes were sort of radically different. Yeah. And that's a, a product of two things, a craziness, and, and, <laughs> and, but, and like, um, you know, the ability to keep changing something, and then mm-hmm. also the way that art is available for consumption now, which is like via streaming yeah. and non-physical media, so that... Right. Uh, you know, and I kind of like those first mixes of Life of Pablo better than subsequent ones. I was like, oh, I wish I had been able to retain my mm-hmm. version of the album that I thought was really good and better than this version. And it, and I, for all I know, there's yeah. a new version of Life of Pablo that arrives on this on music streaming sites every week. I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, do you feel? Do you feel the same thing happens now with with film? Well, what you just said actually brought up a lot of different thoughts for me because I'm not sure it's a... Well, first of all, I'm not sure it's totally like a streaming phenomenon because if you think of it, back in the old days, right, you'd have the record version of your favorite album and then, of course, you would dub it 
on the cassette. Yeah. And you'd have that version of your album, and maybe there's a couple pops, or you like, oh sure, you know okay. what I mean. So then you have like these different versions, and yeah, even that's think a about, less intentional. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, like I have my tape of Janis Joplin's, you know, Pearl is my favorite version of that album. You know, I listen to my MP3 versions, and I'm like, this sucks really? compared to the tape. And what's the main thing that you think is different about those? Well, it's just like each format has a different mastering, you know. But, you know, the tape is kind of raunchy and blown out, and it's from the 80s, so it's kind of cruddy, and it sounds like lo-fi Janus. And then the MP3s are like early digital remastering, like, ooh, let's sparkle this up, give it a nice sheen, polish sure. it. And I think there was a whole, there's generations of people that grew up seeing their movies on TV and then on VHS right. that were four by three pan right. and scan versions of movies that actually had different aspect ratios when yeah. they started out. And but, then they, then they ultimately go back to a theater and see the 185 or yeah. the scope or something and it is almost like a completely different movie it is that's exactly how i the only version of the star wars movies i knew were pan and scan until god like the blu-rays came out probably uh-huh so do you prefer the pan and scan i don't know <laughs> i don't know if i'd go that far but i do have a vhs player that's my only um or a vcr i should say that's my only um whatever play media player but okay, back to but your we're, question yeah, we're, we're going now we're digressing yeah. the question is about, about you versions a... and mul and remixes and maybe you know the filmmaker doesn't want car why edit famously edit yes. for forever sure and so people see... get all pissed off at him because well yeah but i guess my question more is do you see let's just talk about your most recent film yeah do you see there being a, a, a quote-unquote finished version of it at some point yeah definitely i mean there's definitely going to come a version where i'm like that is it i'm not you know i'm not some art person you know that's like oh the the film doesn't exist it's just different versions of a happening or whatever you know what i mean no there'll be a final version just like there's a final version of my other movies but it just takes me a while to get there because i'm a one-man operation right now i would love to shop out editing you know i mean i love editing but i don't like editing my own movies it's like the worst i, I don't recommend it so if i had an editor i would just be like you know go go to it and they would probably get it done in a more timely fashion than what i get i'm able to achieve alone so that's the main reason i feel like i keep coming back and editing them also because i'm a disciplinarian you know i th i said this in the last q a was you know i think any filmmakers sometimes get a little daunted or they don't <clears throat> I don't know, they're ready to move on to the next thing and then they just, you know, push out their, their film and they don't necessarily like run it through as grueling of a um, test screening process as, you know, certainly like the studios used to do where you'd have like screening after screening and change the cut constantly. I mean, maybe we don't, you know, obviously people wanted to get away from that and have the filmmaker be the center, you know, decision maker, but I think that comes with drawbacks in terms of getting to a final cut, at least what I found. That's why I like editing my movies after they've screened because it allows me a chance to see what the audience and feel with the audience in real time how they're reacting to the screen, which I feel like is a good way to actually cut your movie because when you're alone in a room with not a theater environment, you know, you're not making the same decisions, I don't think. Yeah. Or it doesn't feel the same way as it does in the theater with a crowd watching it, and you're like, oh, that should be changed. Well, yeah, Damien Chazelle, the director of La La Land, and was here, I don't know, last year, the year before, and I remember one of the two or three Q&As he did, he talked about how anytime as a filmmaker you watch your film with anybody else in the room, 
other than yourself. It's a completely different experience. And mm -hmm. every single time you're watching your film in a room with, with more than one person or, you know, more than just yourself, you learn something. Mm -hmm knew about the film absolutely i would say actually like i just got done reading robert, like these series of interviews with robert altman who's my one of my faves and he talks about that all the time too how he that's like his favorite joy in life is watching his movies in a room with people because he just it's just a way to figure out all the things that are wrong with them you know what i mean like it's just the perfect little window into right. people's brains. But what's you know? interesting, I think that, and I understand this, and I think that what Damien Chazelle was saying is it's got nothing to do with the feedback that they give you right. verbally during or after. It's just being in the room. Mm -hmm. It's just the vibe that you get or the things that it makes you feel. Like you you look at your film in a whole different way when mm -hmm. somebody else sitting there. It's yes. weird. Yeah. And it, I do, I've, I've experienced that as a filmmaker and also as a musician and a songwriter. Mm -hmm. Like if I if people are listening to songs that I've sung mm -hmm. or written with me, I'm like, oh, it's a whole. It's usually a nightmare. Yeah, <laughs> it sucks because it puts you under. It puts like all the vulnerabilities of the piece on, you know, to the forefront, and you kind of got to sit there and deal with it, which I think is scary for a lot of people, which is why they avoid it. But then, if you're just fearless and willing to just do it, eventually, it it actually is kind of the best thing you could do because I always think about it as like, you know, you're, you, I don't know, you're blacksmithing and you f throw the thing in the fire to get rid of all the impurities and the metal, you know, or whatever it is, you know what I mean? It's like, that's kind of the same thing you're doing with test screenings. You know, a lot of people just edit in a room with one other friend that kind of just tells them what they want to hear all the time. And it's just like, that's not really how to make a film better in my opinion. So yeah, I mean, it's weird because I do hear artists say one of two things, that they make their art for themselves or they make it for other people. Mm -hmm. And where, which side of that coin are you? That's a good, that's a good question. I, I, it's weird that it is so dichotomous, I feel like, but I would say I make it, I don't know, I think it's both. I think both are intertwined and i'll explain because i think the idea needs to come from you and something you're obsessed about otherwise you're not at least this is my experience and my limited forays into the artistic world is that if i'm not obsessed with them then they're not going to come to fruition and, and get completed because it's not an idea that i'm clearly like deeply am troubled by or like interested in enough to finish the project so i think in that regard it comes from you because you're the one that's like the vehicle for this thing but then i also think that i would say i'm you know beyond that i really do make it for people because you know if my film never played to anybody i'd be pretty sad even you know i don't get a big run ever have never gotten a big run but or anything you know in terms of just distribution or anything but but my films have always played for people in town or at as many screenings as I could possibly set up. And I always listen to the audience and try to please them with the cut or, please, you know, please who I want to please, essentially, you know, up to the standard that I feel like is appropriate for the, you know, I'm obviously not like editing by committee. Every Joe Schmo out in the audience, tell me what you think. But, um, you what, know, what was the best screening that you think you ever had do you have one where you're like oh yeah God, the reaction was perfect or better than i thought it would be or that was probably the first time i ever had like a really genuinely positive reaction in a big packed house was the calmart showcase for my senior year when when i was in college when i um uh 
showed white and lazy for the first time and that was that was a earlier cut than what the film festival got so it was like kind of a it was the rawest cut but it was was that in 47 or at the marquee it was at the marquee that was the first year that they did the showing at the marquee the year before the student film i had played at 4070 and that was wild because it was packed and it was like total fire hazard and the room was like a hundred degrees because there's far too many bodies in there but uh-huh. but i felt prouder of the white and lazy showing just because i could the crowd was just ready to laugh they were drunk they all their you know kids had work in the thing and then you know it, mine was the last film to show so then they were like ready to just be like busting at the seams so everybody was just laughing at every joke it just was kind of a dream screening i mean i had ideas to change it like i was saying before like i always do whenever they play but that was the one where i was like dang i don't think that could have gone any better did you run it? I, I I guess I don't know the answer to this question, so that's why I'm asking. Yeah. <laughs> Did you run it? Have you ever run that film on 16? Did you cut it on 16? No. Oh. I wish. I wish I had, but I just didn't have enough time. So I made that movie in one semester, which was kind of a feat to do it on film. And I actually didn't even see any like rushes or footage, I guess, for the layperson from you know the film until probably like two i think it was actually two or two and a half weeks before it showed so it was like got edited in like crazy amount of time because my editor at that time was like a nutso freak and would go you know 14 hours without stopping or whatever tell me tell tell me what the technical process is you shot it on 16 yeah and then what then who, where'd you go to get it transferred to digital so that you could cut it yeah so it was on negative and we developed that but i didn't get any positives made so i got the negative back and then i just scanned the negative straight in on what at the time was the telecine so now we've upgraded to a scanner which does 4k and all these great things so i've rescanned the film but i haven't re i'm gonna do a, a remaster of white lazy someday um but at the time it was on a like essentially standard definition broadcast era you know digitizer so it basically took the film and laced it into 29.97 for kind of sd video broadcast so part of the process that i had to figure out at the time was how to take all of that because i was kind of stuck in this weird nether region between analog and digital and at the time our department hadn't upgraded all the way obviously to like uhd technology you know high high definition so this scanner was kind of outdated and i was trying to like use that and then bring it back into as high a quality film footage as i can so it was like a lot of reverse telecineing and reverse pull, pull down for people that even know what the hell that is and care basically like all the different encoding information had to be kind of debunked because of this old machine that we were using that was kind of still a relic from the broadcast era so the film the version that you are familiar with and has really only ever been shown is pretty much just a standard definition cut of the film so i'm hoping that someday the like really nice negative version will make so it's it out. not even like a 1920 by 1080. No, well, I mean, it technically is, is but it's up to that. Right. So there's not really any new information. So you, uh, I'm sorry, backing up a little bit. Yeah, that's that, kind of technical. That, but no, and I know but I'm going to ask you though. even more technical stuff. Um, you, you shot that film on 16 and you recorded it on, on analog, oh, digital, digital yeah. sound. But I'm going to hopefully master all of those digital Honda analog tape because now I'm getting to the point where I'm like I have these negatives and all the digital is on the audio is on a hard drive so if that hard drive ever failed I would have all of my 
negatives to go back to, but I would have no master audio. So I kind of want to master it back to analog. But you were using like old school clapboards, and I yeah. would, my my question was leading towards how did you then sync up that sound with yeah with the image? Was it a pain in the ass? It was a pain in the ass because. Um, and this is another really technical, like little nuance of doing this workflow, which is like shooting on analog and then mm -hmm. recording to digital, which is yeah. that the analog, the film camera shoots at 24 right. 0, 0, 24 right. exactly. And then video would be playing back at 23976, right. right? So then the sound you're recording in what, 4,800 samples. So the amount of samples that it's taking per second or whatever. And so then you got to actually slow the audio down by 0.1% or whatever in order to get it to match yeah. up. So I actually had to go through each audio take and artificially slow it down by this minute percentage so that over the course of the shot, you wouldn't start seeing the right. audio in the mouthing not sync up. So that was fun. So you're right. It's another hiccup that I had to deal with. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that was a lot to get done in one semester. That was a bit, I don't know how that really got accomplished. That wouldn't be possible for me today to do that that quickly. So, uh, tell me if I'm wrong, because I'm I could easily be wrong. But I, my, my the sense I get from you and some conversations we had is that you don't consider yourself what they call around here like a cinephile. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you don't watch a lot of movies. I don't. I don't think I'm a movie movie fanatic. Like I love I love movies and the movies that are my favorite. I like cherish. But yeah, I'm not like an encyclopedia of film. I would say. And is and I also maybe I got this wrong, but I got this vibe, and I understand this too as an artist that one of the things is like you don't. You sort of don't want to be overly influenced by other things, and you, mm -hmm. you, you're, you know you're going to be working in the field, making your own stuff, and, mm -hmm. and so you think of yourself. I'm sort of curious how you got into the idea of being a filmmaker, and I also know that you're a musician and a songwriter, yeah. so I have actually a couple questions. One of them is, like, how did you... How did how did filmmaking become a thing for you? Yeah, if it wasn't because of your like innate just obsession with and love mm -hmm. movies, which and I do think that there are certainly again just like there are filmmakers who make them for themselves or make for the audiences, right. and of course a mixture. There's filmmakers who are cinephiles, mm -hmm. and then filmmakers who are like I don't I never see movies, um, <laughs> yeah. you know that I guess consider themselves storytellers, and this is the medium right. they but they're not that interested in being a consumer or a patron of the arts. Um, and then is then my other my I wonder if it's the same thing for you in the field of music because I then I do mm -hmm. get the sense that you're more of a music fan. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. Um, I think music's easier to acquire in a lot of ways, um, just because of online streaming and how easy it is to just and how cheap it is to just go to your record store and buy yeah, physical but, media. But you, you know can I mean? access movies that same easy way. Sure, days. but maybe not all the titles, you know what I mean? Or at least the range of titles that I would kind of want to be looking for. I mean, I right. the movies that I'd be interested in are probably made by, you know, it's like Criterion Channel stuff yeah, or even maybe more that obscure. maybe that yeah, that or or like any kind of yeah, so world art movies maybe a little bit um, if they're not too super pretentious, then I'll be into them. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, you know, like 
low budget movies or, or slasher movies or B movies or, you know, I mean, Netflix, even Spotify, they say like only 10% of recorded music from the 20th century is on Spotify yeah. or something like that, you know? So I don't know. Well, Those listen, things we, scare me. We had somebody in to Cinematech this past weekend uh, talking about a film restorationist talking about film talking about the fact that uh, I think uh, I, I'm going to get this wrong maybe but like 90% of the films made before 1950 are completely lost yeah, to history exactly that's crazy you know it's just that's why the people that that's why you know honestly this is a huge tangent but that is why we study D.W. Griffith and Mary Pickford and stuff because those bastards were the best at archiving themselves right. you know what I mean <laughs> yeah. like they were just like well or you know Lillian Gish mm-hmm. but another great example is just like these people that are like oh well now I'm going to go into the cinematic arts and archive everything <clears throat> all my movies you know because then it's well, like you control the history books going yeah. forward at that point. But do you think it was actually Lillian Gish herself? <laughs> like well, I don't know. No, <laughs> I mean, no. She was just throwing money at it. But you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but back to your question about... Um, oh, yeah. I guess just like how much... Because I don't buy... Okay, how did you get uh, into the film yeah, thing? Yeah. There's a lot of good questions in there. So first, I'll just talk about that. When I was in high school and kind of was thinking about becoming like, ooh, I want to be a, write, a short story writer or something like, you know... Um, then I also found like kind of the the new Hollywood directors, and that's kind of like what made me think, oh, maybe this filmmaking thing is interesting and possible, you know. And I didn't really even touch a camera until college when I wanted to just take the screenwriting course. You know, I was like looking up Com Arts at UW, um, which is you know kind of the department that houses the Cinematheque. For those listening who don't know, what was the what do you think got you into the idea of being a writer? Was it was it a class you did yeah. in high school? Was it a that's was a good it, question. Was reading stuff? Reading. I, I was an avid reader as a kid. I would say that. Um, yeah. I mean, I had, you know what it was, is I had a fourth grade teacher who was really inspiring to me. She was this great widower, widowed lady who was like, you know, bitching about Vietnam and all this stuff. She kind of had the like Irish storytelling streak, if you will. And she told us all these kind of like stories and she recommended me all these books that yeah, I should what read. What were the books that authors that you got drawn to? Um... I read, this was like fourth grade, so I was reading like The Yearling, and that was kind of a classic child, children's book, and um, what else? Like Treasure Island, you know? <laughs> I don't know. Um, what about t- in like high school? High school and stuff, it would have been Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn and Mark, oh, Tw- Mark Twain. and mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Like that was my f- my favorite book of all time, I think, is Huck Finn. Yeah. I just think it's great. Nobody can tell me otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, at the, in high school, it was like, I had a cool, hip English teacher that made us read Vonnegut and, you know, stuff like that. You know, it's interesting. I was trying to think, like, oh, I was going to ask you, did, did any of that stuff seep into your your filmmaking or your writing and stuff? And, it, and for some reason, I, it immediately made me think, like, White and Lazy sort of has this Tom Sawyer thing. It's like... <laughs> He's trying to get the rent instead of trying to get everyone to paint the fence, but it's like it is that same structure. (laughs) Ah, you found me out. Yeah, Yeah, no, I think that's true. I mean, it's it's satire. That's Mm -hmm. why. I mean, really, just obviously, it's kind of. And I think actually, you know what is interesting? Maybe I shouldn't. You can edit this out. It doesn't matter. But JJ called me up one time trying to get me to change the name of that film because he thought it was inappropriate. Oh, but that was me. That was my (laughs) fault. (laughs) That was all my problem. Oh, that was you. First of all, I, I think we've had this conversation, but let's have it again yeah, in the sure, podcast, is that uh, we are both 
and I probably I want to take credit for being probably an even bigger replacements fan than you are. So <laughs> there's nobody. Probably there's like five percent of the people who've even heard of your movie or seen yeah. your movie would even know that title. Yeah, you're know. right about that actually. Well, but whatever. But so it's not that I have anything against naming a movie after a replacement song or anything bad to say about any replacement song or any song that Paul Westerberg has ever written in his life. Disclaimer. It's just that as I don't even know. And now it doesn't make any sense to me. But at the time, I was like, yeah, well, it's like, I mean, I'm not offended. I just want to say that. I mean, no, no, no. I, I know you're not. Because and I, I was also kind of like, but it was, it, it, it was, right. yeah. it was a thing I was hearing that year a lot was that the, that calling people white trash is an insult to African-Americans because hmm. you're either trash or you're not. You're to say yeah. white trash is like, what do you have to say white for? Like, yeah. Aren't you trash? Like, what does that mean? That if you're right. white but you're trashy, that's not normal. Like, because you don't say yeah. black trash, right? right? So, like, that means like this was yeah. my actual thought. Yeah. I, uh, and I was getting enough feedback and pushback about other things along these lines at the time that I thought there might be people who see this title in the film guide along mm -hmm. with 150 other things yeah. and sort of like they don't know what it they don't know right, anything about right. it They're like what do you mean white and lazy yeah like, exactly kind of, what is that and they might not give the film a chance i loved your film and i thought right if this if this title turns anyone off for right. any reason, like that's a bummer because I right. want everyone to see this thing. Right. So I tried to convey that to JJ, who I'm sure. <laughs> no, no, he's JJ. I mean, that was you. fine. I mean, I actually, I think you maybe. I don't know. I don't but know what you think. I think. Sorry. But I'm no, no. I, I know that you. I know that I'm like totally not offended. And I actually thought about that for a long time because I think the points that you've made. So I me, think I'm wrong. Through my thoughts. I actually think okay. I'm wrong. Nobody's ever, nobody ever did complain about it. And I really now think white trash is one thing. Right. But I do think that that's an offensive term. I still use that term. I should stop. <laughs> that's why you didn't make a movie called white trash. So that's all. It's towards myself, I guess. Whereas white and lazy, there is the and there. So maybe it isn't really the same yeah. thing. It, okay. Let me just talk about this. So this is another angle at this because I think it's, there's no correct answer because a million people could see that title or some or or a similarly somewhat controversial title um and feel however they feel you know what i mean and you're not going to be able to please 100% of the people all the time you know what's whatever um but the way i felt at the time was like you know at the time the movie that had just come out that i had seen was boyhood right and there's this movie called boyhood and what is a movie you know that's entitled boyhood or even the fact that you're going to make a, a film about really youth and call it boyhood you know but it's a a young white boy but it's just called boyhood like this is this generic thing we're going to slap on there even though it's not really all of boyhood it's a very specific slice of boyhood and childhood that is you know male and straight and white and blah 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 which is fine and people don't bat an eye at that kind of stuff you know what i mean and and there's many esoteric titles every year of films that are very kind of just like mm -hmm. white people thinking oh this stands for everybody but it doesn't so i was kind of like trying to go the opposite route and just be like rather than calling this movie like you know youth or you know it's it's a youth film or it's a it's a but it's about college kids you know it's about it's about a certain kids of a certain amount of privilege that are at least able to attend a, a university and they're all white there wasn't a single person of color in that which i was kind of like embarrassed by to begin with so i was kind of just like rather than 
uh, trying to just like hold myself up and like give it a title that I think is like very grand or not even that I had to do that. I was just kind of like, well, this is a stupid film. It's about laughing at yourself and really the main character isn't lazy. That's kind of the whole joke is like, he's the only one that isn't. I mean, he kind of affects laziness, but really he actually is trying to get the rent to his landlord. And it's really all the other people that are really, you know, that are the kind of the annoying white people that are getting in his way. It's like, God damn it. Just pay your rent. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's it's kind also, of, it's kind of like, and this is this, I think, I don't, I don't think I'd ever heard the term back then, but it's kind of like white privilege. Yeah. It's sort of like, it sort of talks about that in its own way. It's yeah. Like and I think that's what Paul Westberg was getting at too. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's just like, it's about recognizing one's identity, even though you, you know, like I think Westerberg made that title tongue in cheek. You know, it's a blues song. He clearly loves. Right. So there's like all these complex meanings, right? Like he loves the blues, right. but you also feel self-conscious as yes. a white boy playing sure. a black art form. So then you kind of got to call attention to that, but you also kind of got to pay it homage or whatever you know what i mean so you're in this like and i kept thinking of this movie kind of as a blues song too because it's got the same refrain over and over again like maybe that's a little abstract but i did kind of think of it that way i'm like is this too stupid because it's the same scene six different times and i was like well you know a blues song is the same progression six different or however many times and that works you know yeah so, i start you know i think i gave jj some other replacements titles to pass along to you that were but good there's one I like those <laughs> there's one that i don't think I did, and I don't, and I'm embarrassed to say I don't actually know if this is a, a song that Westerberg wrote and never recorded a studio version of, but it's on that the shit hits the fans cassette mm -hmm. thing. Uh, heard you been to college, or is that a cover? Yeah, it's uh, no, that's I think that's an original. Yeah, so Heard You Been to College, that yeah. would have been a good that would have been title for that. Yeah, and we could have started with that song, too. maybe, without yeah. clearing the rights. Because <laughs> that's such a <laughs> exactly. rare cut. Yeah. And actually, it has the, where they, I mean, where they, what were they, yeah. they were listening to it, and he pressed record accidentally. Over, so part of that song cuts out. Oh, it does, yeah. yeah because right. they had the master cassette tape, and <laughs> yeah. he was trying to play it, and he hit record. He's like, oh, crap. So he dubbed over part of it. Um, I love that. Yeah, tape. that's a great, great tape. And great song. That would have been a good one, actually. Here you've been to college. Heard you've been to college. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Maybe, I would, maybe it'll get renamed in the in the restoration. Anyway, now you have the official behind-the-scenes uh, version <laughs> of the controversy <laughs> surrounding white and lazy. How did we start talking about that? Oh, because you were telling me, JJ, and we were talking about writing. We were talking about writing, yeah. And we were talking about how I got into filmmaking. And then, so I would say that the first films that actually got me to think about, like, what what went on behind the camera or, or the idea of the, oh this is an art in and of itself and not just you know something to consume is um the new hollywood directors like you know well, scorsese and coppola and people like that and the conversation there's a lot pretty much all the stuff from the 70s and where did you encounter those films and filmmakers um from my friend in high school well couple places i mean there came a time in high school where i kind of saw one of them randomly or somehow or maybe it was apocalypse now we watched actually you know what that was we watched apocalypse now in english class mm. i had a lot of different classes on the vietnam war in high school i don't know if that was unique to my high school but i probably had like five units on vietnam over the course of my high school career and only one teacher that bad mouth yeah, well no all of them bad mouthed oh. <laughs> but that was the first one too in oh, fourth okay. grade um 
but one of the units they showed us apocalypse now and i had never like seen a movie even remotely like that before um so then that kind of was like okay who's this guy francis ford coppola you know so then i watched you know like the godfather and stuff like that and all those like the conversation and stuff like that and then went from there um i would say chinatown i'm just giving you the dvds i bought at the time chinatown one flew over the cuckoo's nest stuff like that what's your favorite out of those mine i i love the conversation i saw that i think even i remember being i used to go to um uh, Ithaca, New York. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and in the summers we would go camping mm. in Ithaca, which is where Cornell is. Right. It's beautiful there, I heard. It is. Um, but uh, the, my favorite part about those summers, I didn't I didn't love camping out in a tent. Or, <laughs> it was fine. You were it was out, like, are you an outdoors person? No, <laughs> not at all. Um, but, my, but weirdly, my parents, they really aren't, but they did do that a lot. Like yeah. every summer we'd go camping, and it's so weird to think of it now because they were like these Brooklyn street kids, yeah. Um, and their parents were not air, the outdoors type, and they, whatever. But yeah, but, but my favorite part of those summers was getting to go to Cornell sometimes with my father and see uh, they would ha- they had like a film society there, yeah. And I got to see my first Alfred Hitchcock movie at Cornell one summer. Like I was Dang. probably like eight years old, and we saw North by Northwest, and then I was probably like eleven years old, and we saw the conversation it freaked me out <laughs> that stuff in the bathroom yes uh, um but i'm sorry so no anyway. no that, i mean we could talk about the conversation if you want i mean the only the only thing i was going to say about that and maybe you had a different react i mean you must have had a different reaction but when i first saw that movie i was like holy crap i didn't realize that like people made movies this catholic you know what oh, I mean? Interesting. I, I grew up in that world totally. Yeah. And then I was like, oh my God, this guy, the last shot is him smashing the Virgin yeah, yeah. Mary. I'm like, how yes. much more over, like over the top, you know, heavy handed. But it was cool because that was, I was like, you know, you don't Catholic as like, so is like whatever Jewish or Muslim or any, you know, yeah. it's kind of like a subsect of American faith. That's not really the mainstream. Yeah. Right. So then to see that portrayed like really sure. intensely was like, which is probably why I gravitated towards the Italians and, you know, and even still John Ford, like, uh-huh. you know, um, definitely yeah. uh, that gets me in a way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that definitely struck me in that movie and probably was like influential for that reason too. Yeah, I didn't get that about that until much later. I grew up as like a Jewish, obnoxious Brooklyn kid. Like I didn't understand anything about repressed anything. Did they? Did your parents observe and stuff, or was not, it kind of no? Like culturally, yeah, right. But not. We didn't. They didn't go to temple or anything. Sure. I, I did get bar mitzvah, but it was basically because my grandparents were excited that I would. And, mm-hmm. and both your parents came from Jewish backgrounds. Yes, but neither one of them are observant. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of religious way. Hmm. Um, my parents were like, I, I, they were hippies, I guess. I mean, they weren't okay. completely like counter. I mean, they had both had jobs, and right. Um, my mom was a teacher, and then, you know, then she had three kids. And Teachers are hippies most often. I yeah. <laughs> my dad was a labor negotiator for yeah. the City University of New York, um, and so he was. But he was like a big like advocate of unions and uh-huh. labor rights and stuff. So yeah, so I. I, I, That's it's, it's funny. It I'm always I like see. staring at people like, why aren't you, re- you know, rebelling against your parents? <laughs> and I realize, well, I didn't, you know, like, uh, if I had, if I had done what I've been pres- prescribing to all my friends who had much more conservative parents, like I would be conservative. Yeah. If, I was re- if, I would, if I was any kind of a rebel, I would be, I would be very straight laced. Um, so what am I doing? Yeah. That's like, um, 
my bandmate's older brother was both his so his parents were super lefty um for kind of definitely 60s mm-hmm. time period and they let the kid name himself totally went the full nine uh-huh. like let him run around naked all this kind of stuff and then he ended up becoming an oil executive and voting republican oh. <laughs> Not that now, wait, you know, he's the guy in we your band no no no, no, no that's the brother that's brother. his older okay. brother yeah so but anyway that's a that's a sidetrack but yeah the so you got into the new hollywood directors yep and and you thought this is for me or this is for me this. yeah and you know what's kind of ironic about that is i feel like my whole time and maybe you've i don't know how you feel about this maybe you have a different experience or or some something similar but i watched those films and this is kind of before streaming and stuff um and i was like this is amazing you know like this is what it's crazy that these films got one got made for this amount of money you know mm-hmm. i don't think at least an american popular movie going i feel like that was a, diff- a very unique time that totally blew my mind is what i want to do but then i kind of like it dawned on me now i feel like where i'm like oh yeah that's probably i mean it would take a lot for that to happen again for movies of that ilk to be made at that at those price points you know now that we're in like hyper blockbuster mode i feel like it just seems like a foreign thing so it's kind of weird talking about how that's what got me into movies because it just seems like i mean it is it's not weird but it just seems like it's 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 a relic of the past maybe that's pessimistic but it almost feels so you're worried this. about it in terms of like commercial success like you're yeah. like why am i trying to yeah do exactly this stuff that is out of fashion right like will the public ever again mm. like even if i achieved all my wildest dreams and i was able to make you know kind of like fun exciting but critical movies would there ever even at its maximum be an audience that would really want to absorb that kind of thing because i think what america learned in the movies at least up till now not to say that this is going to continue this way but is that people would rather have uh, an experience that's going to last a certain amount of time that makes them feel uh, sort of pre-canned feelings or makes them feel better or gives them a, a whoosh than have someone being like hey you should really think about this thing in society that's kind of a you know problem and think about how it applies to your life and go home and suffer and and mull that over for a while you know what i mean and have it affect your daily life i just don't know if people want that experience out of the cinema as some do and there'll always be some that do but well, you know I mean, it, I and do, not that that was the case in the 70s either but it seems more the case and i think that case. plenty of those films and filmmakers give you a whoosh i mean there's yeah, plenty, sure. plenty of those Scorsese films you walk out of and you're like whoa oh i agree and i think that there i mean i think that certainly those filmmakers are a huge influence even on today's generation of yeah. independent filmmakers and, and on Hollywood filmmakers. Look, I mean, mm-hmm. listen, the yeah. biggest movie out right now, Joker, is a complete homage to those yeah. to Taxi Driver You're right. and uh, King of Comedy. You're right. Um, and the Safdie brothers, have you seen their films? Uh, they have yeah. a new one coming out with Adam Sandler, but I mean, mm-hmm. the, the last one with that, is it, uh, was it Robert Pattinson who's mm-hmm. in that movie? The, mm-hmm. Good time. Yeah. Like, those are total, like, 70s, gritty. I think that's coming back. When I was in New York over the summer, like, a summer ago, every bar had 70s, like, Bowie. And, you know, I was like, the 70s are coming back. I mean, you're right. It's coming back. But I feel like when these eras make a comeback, it's more in, like style than content well that's true and that's not right that's i'm not, not saying denig- no, 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 no 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 and that's no and i and i'm actually excited to see joker i haven't seen it yet but i i feel like i'll like it you know what i mean because i do love that that element of it too but 
Joker's maybe in between, right? Because it's like it is a corporate comic book franchise, but it's getting sort of the gritty outsider 70s treatment, which works well for that character. And I th- I'm excited to see it and, and excited to like it, actually. But, you know... As far as just, like, I just think back on, like, a film like Nashville. You know, we're going to have 24 characters, and we're going to give you millions of dollars to shoot this thing on location in a in a city that's not really a major American city. It's a regional city, you know. Um, just, I don't think that happens like it did then. You know, I just don't think that would get the budget and, and do as well. Not that it did super well, but that at least got out there and, you know, got recognition and got seen. The other thing, too, is, is I just there's the American movies have always maybe I mean certainly have always been dominated by New York and LA but I feel like yeah. the 70s gave maybe a little bit of an opening like hey maybe there's a regional film market out there you know there was the regional writers movement in America where we have short stories from the south or we talk about the southern writers or the midwest writers or whatever um, but there's not as much of a strong equivalent in film which i could never understand because film seems so ripe for that because each landscape in america looks different and you would think oh we have all these like patchwork of different america's like 10 different countries under one banner you know what i mean you would think that people would take advantage of that you know i mean i'm just gonna bring back up robert altman but each one of his movies he's the poster child for me because of that movement because he has a movie and you know he shot Thieves Like Us, the Depression film in, on location in Mississippi, mm-hmm. and it feels like the South in the mm-hmm. Depression. Like, if you want to know what the Depression felt like, I feel like that movie gives you it more than any other Hollywood yeah. movie. And then um, Nashville and Nashville, you know, O.C. and Stiggs is shot in Arizona. Um, that's not a great movie, but it's shot in Arizona, which is unique. Feels like suburban Phoenix, you know. Um, Long Goodbye in L.A. And he just did all stuff from you know every different corner of america um and kansas city of course in the 90s about his hometown yeah so that's interesting yeah the country doesn't stop in new york ben you know you may not realize (laughs) you heard that local song california yes and then the punchline is Safe. I don't know. I don't know if we're gonna use swear. Yeah, podcast, right. I know. Yeah. Yeah. My my drummer from the Smells had a shirt that was said local H, and it had a big old California with the the circle and the slash through it. Nice. I love local H. Great. I want to make a thing. whole movie about them. See, that's the thing. You're right. I guess you're right. Like there aren't as many famous, or th- there might be famous directors and writers of films from the Midwest, but they don't sort of advertise themselves. That I always, way. I always feel this way. And you can get me going on a long tangent about this, but it's like I think that's true of all art. You know what I mean? Like Bob Dylan was a no, Minnesotan. Yes, and the, if he's, he's not is. from Minnesota, yeah. he ain't Bob Dylan. But right. people in, I feel like people always say, "Oh, New oh, York." He's a New York. Well, he's he a went New to New York. And he, you know, he's from the, you know, the the lower or whatever, the whatever, okay, the village. I, I can have this argument with you about music, though, because I grew up in Brooklyn and um, felt throughout my early life as a songwriter and a musician mm-hmm. and somebody in a band. I was like, I got to get out of here. Right. Because there's hardly any bands that ever get noticed from New York. You know, there's like the Ramones and the Talking Heads mm-hmm. and Blondie. New York but, Dolls. Come on. New York Dolls. Yeah. But but that was before my time. Yeah. And then also <laughs> it was like, you know, there's a million bands in New York City. Come I on, think Marcy I wrote, Playground. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and I, my whole dream was like move out to the Midwest so that I could be a big fish in a small pond. Right. 
and, and all my favorite bands were from the Midwest. And so yeah. I was thrilled to move to Wisconsin, and I got to be closer to, well, the replacements had broken up by the time I moved out here, mm-hmm. so that was a bummer. Uh, I'd seen them plenty. But I got to see my favorite hair metal band, Enough's Enough. I got to see them all the time because they were from Chicago, Local Age, mm-hmm. The Frogs. Uh, I got to see all these bands that I ne- would get to see like once every 10 years in New York. I got to see like all the 10 time. times a year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, the Midwest was the place to be for music. You know who you're like? Okay, so let's broaden this out. So you know who you're like is Bruce Springsteen mm-hmm. because he's a coastal kid mm-hmm. who started that way maybe. You know, his first record records were kind of more um van moore's you know yes. like coastal boardwalky yeah. you know then at a certain point realizes hey maybe i need to start thinking about midwestern imagery and kind of does i see him and bob dylan as like the bookends of mm-hmm. like kind of that sort of era of rock and roll because you have a midwesterner who goes to the coast and you have a coast right. and they both have the yin and the yang but right. you need both right it's true i think that you're right i think born to run that album has got a mixture of some songs mm-hmm. that feel very like new york new jersey but also then feel very midwestern like yeah. under road like that feels like mm-hmm. i think he's writing about yes. jersey but he's but it's southern jersey which in a way is closer yeah. to the midwest than like, yeah. urban new york city area new jersey definitely it's more i mean they have farms in that part of new jersey especially yeah. you know in that time you know right. and, and so it's it yeah. feels that way it's more rural and i think you're right i think that was a conscious choice because you could have easily started that record out with like born to run or backstreets which would have been more of a continuation but he i think he purposely starts that out with the harmonica and the twinkling piano to conjure up you know woody right. guthrie depression you know the heartland although by the end of it he's back in new york with the um um freeze out no, no, the, that's in the middle. The, oh my god, I can't believe I'm spacing out the name of like uh, Jungle Land. Oh yeah, Jungle Land, right? Rangers at Homecoming, right? Right. But then, I mean, you know, by the time Nebraska comes along, like that's probably the most explicit Midwest. I mean, I th- I would say the river. I mean, it's a if you call a record the river and you're from America, yes. you're probably talking about the Mississippi Absolutely. at least in the river some and right, and then it, that. Um, that what's the oh um nebraska yeah. right yeah Sweet. but no but i want to say um so you're sort of you're not taking responsibility for the idea that you avoid the art forms that you want to work in because you don't want to be you're, you're it's not really that i mean you you listen yeah. to whatever music you want this, yeah and I, you know, and I love consuming movies, and I buy I buy a lot of VHS tapes. Still, that kind of sounds stupid, but I do, and I watch them, and they're cheap. So, I mean, I consume media that way, and I and I and mainly the media I consume is just what I can find at the thrift store, and that's kind of my actually my net of like weeding stuff out, and that does sound kind of hip, and you guys can hate me for that, whoever listens to this, but I don't care because you got a thrift store aesthetic. Yeah, it is. I mean, you can go into a record store and buy great records for a dollar, and that's what I do. I look at the dollar bin and I pick out my picks, and then I spin them, and I'm like, wow, this is a great record. And chances are, probably not a whole lot of people know about it because it's a dollar and it's on vinyl, so it probably maybe not ever got digitized, which is the case, you know, with a lot of the records I pick up that I'm like, wow, this is a good find. It's not available streaming which is another reason i'm kind of like skeptical of spotify um but same thing with vhs tapes you know Mm -hmm. there's it's kind of a wealth there too so i you know i i'm not anti-movie and i wish i saw more movies but i do what i can it's kind of my philosophy thank you james rundy look for played out what do you get what are your you got any plans to to push that on the festival circuit yeah yeah you know what 
this is a perfect question because I have a screening coming up um, Sunday, November 3rd, which is two weekends out. It will be showing. I mean, this, might not, this, may, not this might not get published until <laughs> afterwards, but. Yeah, if you listen to it afterwards, then the film did play in uh, the Driftless Festival in Mineral Point, one of my favorite Wisconsin towns, and one I used to go through a lot on the way to grandparents' house. Are you um, planning on tweaking it at all before then? Or you're... Yes, oh. but only a tiny bit. So I'm going to be gone this weekend. I'm going to hit you up to edit the week for the following <laughs> week. And then uh, hopefully I'll just you know snip out a few, se- it, probably less major edits than what I made this last time around. But then you've got, have you submitted it anywhere else yet? I have. I've gotten declined. I mean, what? I, I'm used to getting declined at this point. I'm just like, it. I'll take the whippings. I don't care. I got my strong head on my shoulders. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if I don't apply to the right ones. I don't have a big name, and I don't have really like credentials other than just like now whatever being in the festival yeah, a couple times that's and none that's none of that has anything to do anything but i would say that the one thing is length it's, it's is terrible length, yeah. i mean i've always made films of terrible length so i mean that's what's really shot me in the foot but i mean next next movie i'm gonna not do that hopefully <laughs> but i also i also it's a shame because it puts even higher stakes on making films that you have to have them at a certain length because if you go back honestly even into the 50s and stuff or even earlier there's plenty of 50 minute films in history in film history i mean it's just it wasn't as weird of a length before we kind of like codified the feature film in like sort of the television era so one that kind of pisses me off but two it's so high stakes because making an indie film is really challenging and then if it doesn't quite come out how you want it to come out and then it incentivizes just cutting to the length rather than cutting to the film and i feel like if you're a first-time filmmaker or you're learning like i am and trying to get better it really kind of stifles you because you kind of got to if you want to make a film that feels right and entertains people for a certain amount of length, mm-hmm. this, you know, kind of doesn't allow you to do that as much. You're, you, it would be wiser career wise to fill the film up with a bunch of crap and then make it the 70 or 80 minutes that it should have been and then push it out there. But it's going to be boring and people are going to, you know, yawn and fall asleep during your showing. But 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 it'll get shown more. So that's the trade off. Yeah. But here's another idea. And this is a terrible idea that I'm sure you will hate but i could also see you deciding to shop this around as a pilot like it's the perfect mm. length for like one of these hour-long Ooh. netflix series or, <laughs> or amazon or hbo could and somebody watch about, a whole series of this stuff? yeah and they probably want you to redo this pilot like, yeah. once they see it they're like okay but it's been four years since you shot this stuff and <laughs> yeah so we gotta get although I well mean, that's a compliment I mean I, I'm surprised that you would say that but I'm you're right it's the right length for it but I don't know if... oh I totally see it as a thing but I can't I, I I'm not implying that that's what you're into. Or no, but I mean, into. I would do it any way that I could get money to make motion picture. <laughs> yeah. I'll always uh-huh. have my ear open. I'll say that for those listening. And the last thing I'll say before Ben boots me off here is that I got three other projects that I'm considering, and I'm just going to title them, and I'm not really going to waste your time. No, you shouldn't, too much because about people them. will steal these ideas. I'm not going to explain them. I'm just going to tell the titles okay. because the titles are mine, damn it, and you can. I can point to this podcast as copyright. Um, The titles are City League, about a City League basketball team. Flower Child, about a mother and son finding each other through time and space. The last one is Leftovers, and that's a a classic funeral film about a will fight. Nice. Okay. When film historians 
comb through the wreckage yep. years from now. Look, oh my God, Rundy, even back then, was talking about those three films that went on to win him all those awards. <laughs> Uh, yeah right thank you my friend this yeah, was, thank uh, you uh, next time I interview you now and we yeah. gotta talk about the film work of Ben Reiser okay. so then you can feel my sure. pain sure and my music career yeah and, and your music career yeah which is far more interesting than mine <laughs> why didn't we just <laughs> start with that I've bored people too many times <laughs> alright thanks James yep thanks Bye.